0: Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything foreign policy has to offer. Thanks for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast, bringing you philosophy
1: for our times. Here at the IAI, we're committed to taking philosophy out of dusty books and lecture halls and into the heart of public life. If you enjoy this debate and want to carry on the discussion or watch over a thousand more debates and talks on all the latest issues in philosophy, science, politics, and arts, visit IAI.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes. Hello everybody, welcome, and thanks for your patience as we managed to, to get everybody in. Um, Everything we know is wrong. Uh, this is my favourite of the topics that was suggested to me when I knew that I was coming here. Um, and it's, it's really, it's about whether science can tell us what we want to know and whether science can really tell us the truth. Uh, you know, we do reach for science and we, we reach for a, a desire to understand and to be certain. Um, but there was one uh, recent paper that I think we might hear a bit more about in this debate that uh, 90% of some particular cancer research was not reproducible. So then the question is, can you actually rely on it? So should we see science as a flawed method and look somewhere else for our truths or... Is it the only direct link to reality that we've got? Um, And with us, we have some fantastic panellists to discuss this, and the the debate will take the the usual format, which is each of the panellists will have a a few minutes to give an opening statement, and then we'll cover three particular themes, and then there'll be a bit of time for for questions and comments from the audience. Let's let's go straight to our first speaker then, um, uh, Kenneth Cook here. Um, And uh, he's a data editor of The Economist. He's a former technology editor of the Wall Street Journal Asia and co-editor of Big Data, a revolution that will transform how we live, work and think. <clears throat> and your question, as everybody's question, should we see science as a flawed
2: method and look elsewhere for our truths? Thank you. Thank you, Gabrielle. So science is a big topic. Um, but the important thing about science and the scientific method is that it changes itself. We. Forget that, because we think of the scientific method as one single thing, forgetting that over time, well, first there was a period in which we did scientific things, we tried to understand cause and effect, without a formal method, then, post-Galileo, we created a scientific method, but that too has changed over time. Let me get to this idea of how it's changed in just a moment, to first explain the idea why most of what we know, or think that we know, is probably false. is because we can't ascertain whether it's true or not, and the two are different. It's not that it's necessarily false, it's that we actually don't know that it is true. One argument for this, which we can talk about, is a statistical argument advanced by a fellow by the name of John Ioannidis. He's at Stanford, and what he's done is he's the one who first noticed that many of the studies that get published in scientific journals themselves have not been reproduced. They've either not been reproduced because no one has tried, because there's an incentive in science to create new findings, not simply to verify other findings, or because people have tried to reproduce it and have failed to reproduce it. Now, you might say that that doesn't mean that it's false, it just means that it was failed to be reproduced. However, you could actually now, after periods of time when you're taking landmark studies that have people have tried to reproduce many times over and failed to, you could then start to infer that, in fact, indeed, it isn't correct. How bad is the problem? Well, it turns out that when Amgen, a large pharmaceutical company, tried to uh, reproduce uh, some landmark studies in cancer research, of the 53 landmark studies, they were able to reproduce only six of them. Likewise, in the case of Bayer, looking at other landmark studies related to drug compounds that they had created, they were only able to reproduce a quarter of those same studies. So, in fact, that is the magnitude of the problem. It is a big problem. Uh, it turns out that statistically, not only will you find, if you have a certain probability value, of what you will, uh, of, of what you consider to be not happening by random chance, but what you would actually expect to happen uh, because there's a real there, there, a real finding. You're gonna have false positives and you're gonna have false negatives, things that you think are true but aren't, things that you miss but really are true. And when you add them up, you could find out that as much as two-thirds of your findings may not be correct. Okay. The problem, though, that's a classical critique. The problem gets worse. It's big data. We increase the amount of data, we increase the amount of spurious correlations. Sure, but it's not just that. You increase the amount of data so much you can no longer share your data with other researchers. It's just sort of technically impossible. So science needs to build new institutions so that we can share this data, trusted third parties and intermediaries to allow that to happen and to create a requirement that data gets shared. It's worse than that. The techniques that we are going to be using to try to understand reality and truth is something called artificial intelligence, is something called machine learning, and of that, deep learning. It works very, very well but we do not know why it works, because you're dealing with so many variables, so many different weights, they're constantly changing over time, there's no explainability within the algorithm. So ultimately, we're entering a new world in which things are a bit relativistic. Not that it's wrong, it's just that we don't know that it's true.
1: Steve uh, Steve is the author of Humanity 2.0, is a professor at the University of Warwick. He's a philosopher of science with, it says here, a postmodern take. And I uh, was interviewed by Richard Dawkins for Dawkins' documentary about the enemies of reason. So, Steve...
3: Well, first let me start by uh, saying that Dawkins has a very liberal definition of what an enemy of reason is, so this is one (laughs) of the reasons why I was included. Um, I want to take up this issue uh, of everything that we know is wrong uh, and in a way deal with it in a complementary fashion from what Kenneth has just done because I want to focus on the issue of theoretical error rather than error in terms of empirical observations and the conclusions we draw from it Uh, because there's a sense in which uh, this kind of question in a way, matters a lot for science, because science does have the aspiration of trying to explain everything, typically under some kind of a grand unified theory, perhaps of everything, or let's say of a particular domain of reality, Uh, and in a sense, that's kind of the gold standard for what science sets for itself as a particular form of knowledge. Um, And it's there, it's at this sort of larger theoretical level, that science has historically been most vulnerable to error. Okay, Uh, and and I think this is kind of the in a way the starting point of the argument, because uh, you you, you might say, um, you know, from a strictly uh, from the standpoint of our contemporary theories of science, whether we're talking about our theories of life, our theories of, of physical reality, our theories of how society work and so forth. The Greeks got everything wrong. Okay, other cultures routinely get everything wrong. If, if we're talking about that, and, and so in other words, uh, in a sense, science is the only kind of form of knowledge that's in a position to make that kind of judgment. Uh, nevertheless, as we well know, all these other cultures managed to exist perfectly well, they did perfectly fine for themselves, uh, in a sense, even, you know, and so there is a question here about what's at stake in everything that we know might be wrong, if we understand that to mean our fundamental theories, Okay, because that's in, part, in fact the part of science that is most likely to be wrong if we look at it historically. Because if you look at the history of science, one of the things that I think is pretty clear is we are accumulating uh, empirical knowledge. Okay, and certainly the Greeks and other cultures have that kind of empirical knowledge. The knowledge that tells you that, you know, if you walk out of a window, you're going to fall down. Okay? It's a theory called gravity that starts to explain it for you, but nevertheless the basic empirical phenomena was well known as a regularity of nature, and you didn't need Newton for it. Okay? And, but science is claiming something more than that, right? Science is not just belaboring the obvious, which all cultures have. Science is making a greater claim to knowledge, which has to do with theoretical unification. And once again, that is where you see the the possibility for error being the strongest. So in the philosophy of science, um, Hilary Putnam, famous Harvard philosopher, about 30 years ago now, came up with this idea of the pessimistic meta-induction. In other words, um, if you're looking at the history of science, what prediction can you make about the future of science? And the one few, the one prediction that you can make is that the major theories, the major unifying theories uh, that we believe today in all the different disciplines will not be the same hundred years from now. We will still believe the basic empirical phenomena, the basic empirical regularities will still be largely kept intact, right, so in other words, you know, the kind of knowledge, let's say in the case of physics that's associated with engineering, That'll be constant, that might even accumulate. But what will have changed radically and what will have been declared to be wrong are the fundamental unifying theories. Okay, and so when somebody like Thomas Kuhn, some of you may be familiar with, talked about scientific revolutions, it's at that level, right, where the change happens, where you get radical ruptures, where one major theoretical framework gets replaced by another theoretical framework. Okay, and so from that standpoint, Kuhn liked like to talk about in terms of the world changing. One doesn't have to go to that kind of extreme, nevertheless, there's a fundamental sense in which everything that you used to believe at a theoretical level is wrong. The empirical phenomenon is still there, it's still fine, but the theories are wrong. And we've got new theories, and often we need a new generation to take those theories forward. And that is a constant feature of the history of science. And so that's the sense in which I think we need to understand the idea that everything that we think may be wrong.
1: Lawrence is cosmologist and professor of physics at Arizona State University. Um, his best-selling science books include a universe from nothing and my personal favourite, um, The Physics of Star Trek. Um, uh, and most recently, he's on screen in the documentary The Unbelievers.
4: I think what the two speakers just demonstrated that is that everything they think is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he already had so that. We, we tried, tried it, no matter and what we, we tried. Um, let's see. The first point is that actually the the article that was just, that that was discussed um, actually demonstrates how well science works. Because of course, what the journals were doing was science. Um, They were trying to check the results and they were able to determine that they couldn't confirm them. That meant that they know something about the the original experiments. And so the fact that um, certain researchers produce results which are fraudulent or poorly framed is is a, it, and the fact that we can find that out is a good example of the fact that we can find out um what doesn't work and that's what science is all about science by the way has never been about finding out what's right it's always been about finding out what's wrong you can never prove a theory or uh to be absolutely true what you can true what you can prove is that it's absolutely wrong you by doing an experiment and testing the theory Over and over again and finding out that the predictions that theory don't match observations and what the way science works is kind of like Sherlock Holmes. It doesn't find it never. Well, maybe early on before people understood really what the scientific method was all about, people might have thought involved truth. But what it what it does is eliminate what's wrong and what you hope what's left over, you hope has some element of truth. And then you keep exploring and trying to refine that. So science, there's there is no. In fact, our our modern understanding of, of, science is that there's no such thing as absolute scientific truth. That that doesn't mean anything. Um, in religion, there's absolute truth, and that of course doesn't mean anything either. Um, the, the point. Uh, so 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 empirically, the example that was given from from the Wall Street Journal is a great example of the fact that yes, some scientific researchers. Make mistakes. Some commit fraud, but we find that out. And in fact, publishing something in a journal has never been a guarantee that it's correct. It doesn't really mean much of anything except that it's been published in the journal. When I when I read physics articles in a journal, I I look at some of them and I say, okay, well that will that's not going to go anywhere likely. And uh, I I'm very skeptical. We should be very skeptical of what we read in journal in scientific journals, just as we're very skeptical of what we read in newspapers and everywhere else. Now, so that's the first half. The second half, the, regarding this theoretical discussion that was just made, again, it doesn't quite understand, it doesn't quite match what what we mean in by theories. First of all, there's a well-established mechanism now for understanding how scientific quote-unquote truth evolves. It is not as if the theories that we now have will be wrong in the future, any more than Newton's Law of gravity is wrong. Newton's law of universal law of gravity is absolutely right. It will be right. To, it's right. It was right then. It'll be right today. It'll be right in 500 years for descri- describing the motion of cannonballs and rocket ships around the earth. We use it adequately to describe all of those things to high accuracy for the realm of phenomena that it was meant to describe. It, it's absolutely right. Now, it has been subsumed by general relativity at the extremes of scale on large scales and high velocities. So what, the, what what we understand is that our theories evolve, but the theories that describe phenomena accurately will continue to describe those phenomena accurately. They're not wrong. They're just subsumed in something else that, that, that can describe things over a larger set of scales. The best theory we have in, in, in nature right now is something called quantum electrodynamics which is the theory of um, basically electrons and radiation, we can predict from fundamental principles, fundamental principles, we can predict the results of experiments to 10 decimal plates and we get them right over and over and over again. Now, we understand that electromagnetism, the quantum theory of electromagnetism has been subsumed in something that's unified called uh, the standard model. But, uh, but and so that, that allows us to push that theory beyond the realm in which it was meant to uh, ultimately describe nature. It allows us to describe a greater set of phenomena than we could before. That theory too may eventually be subsumed by a broader theory, but the standard model will not be wrong in any sense. It's the best theory we have. And to describe phenomena up to the scale of the Higgs boson, it will, it will, uh, it will, uh, there, there won't ever be a better theory because it already describes things as accurately as you can ever expect to measure them at that scale. Ultimately, we might look at higher scales or larger scales and find we have to have a slightly different theory. So what we now know, and by know, I mean theories that satisfy the test of empirical uh, experiment, those things will never be wrong. They'll always be right, but they may be subsumed in a larger, in a large theory that then allows us to do more experiments. So that's my response to both, the, uh, both of the statements so far.
1: The debate. Theme one. So we're going to go now into the first of the themes where we actually have a, a discussion, what may even be, if we were lucky, a punch-up, which is um, uh, does science uncover the truth? We will talk more about the scientific method in other ways, but we've got a few minutes now to talk about does science uncover the truth? And Lawrence was just saying that he feels that it does in some sense, but uh, what, first of all, what do you think? Can
2: yeah, think? Um, the answer, of course, is sometimes. Yeah, sometimes science doesn't cover the truth, but I, I would use this question to respond to a few things that Lawrence said because I'm perplexed by it. The idea that identifying the shortcomings of, peer, of articles that have appeared being the benefit of science is definitely a rosy spin but if you're identifying the error on the margin, then that sounds great. If you're identifying the fundamental problem with the process, then it actually calls into question the very process. And, I, and it seems that we are. If so many papers are not being reproduced, simply because they cannot. Were that to be the case, then all these journals that, that, that published these research findings should publish research findings to say that it's wrong, and they're not doing that.
1: What, what, what issue do you think there is with the process?
2: well the uh well, the process is going to be uh, problematic in two folds. The first one is going to be statistically the stats that are being used leave themselves open to greater error than the disciplines themselves admit so you could have a lot you could you, you could take the same amount of data and say, "You know what." You believe that this finding is statistically significant and robust, but the fact is it isn't. We tend to think of scientific papers and science in general as finding out truth, but and Lawrence is right that actually it's the the falsification principle. You're really finding out things that aren't true. But the reality of practical science in America or in international academia is that if you have a paper that proves that something's not true, you're not going to get it published, you're not going to get tenure, you're not going to get funding, and you're not going to get your own lab. Is
1: Is that really true? If there's a massive, major, important finding that someone can prove is not true, don't you think that would hit headlines?
2: Mm, yeah, once one a year, you'll get that headline. Better yet, you'll have, um, you know, brand uh, causes you know, cancer to disappear, right? You're gonna have not the falsification, you're gonna have a verification finding. And that's the one that everyone's gonna talk about, and that's what's gonna get you tenure. And in fact, you're not even able to get funding if you want to try to, to get these other, uh, to, just to try to falsify. So the, the, the Larry Lawrence's view isn't wrong, but it's very, very modern. Right, the, the idea of the falsification, uh, <laughs> falsification principle. Well, it's, it's just to say that it's a, it's a reinterpretation of the history of science to say that, we that, and it's also an idealized form of science to say that we are only falsifying, we're not actually making claims. Because the fact is, everyone's making claims. Then, but, the, but where I was shocked is this idea that if it's, in a, if it's in a journal, it is only a guesstimate, and then we have to see over time whether the findings hold or not. I would say to Lawrence, in an esteemed way, this is a peer-reviewed journal. Surely, it's, if it's going to appear in the pr- scientific process of peer review, That the findings that has to be treated as legitimate and true, and if it's not, then again we have to question the process of science.
3: Yes, I mean I I, want to jump in on this point because I think even people who are quite critical of peer review generally grant that if peer review has any strength at all, it's in catching error, right? Peer review is not a process by which you uh, you sort of promote creative thinking. Right. Any of you who've been through the peer review process will know that anything that seems a little unproven, a little outside of the ordinary, it'll get shot down just on the reason it's not substantiated. So, if peer review has a strength at all, it's in catching error. And if we're in a situation where peer review isn't even catching error, then you can imagine, you can ask the question, where does the authority of science come from? Because I think Lawrence has an incredibly relaxed attitude toward this issue, right? Uh, because, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and so there is this question here about what is at stake when we talk. About science, you know scientific truth, because uh, to, to be honest, hearing Lawrence's answer, you know he's just talking about truth. You know, no, you know, uh, just like anything else, journals might be right, might be wrong. You have to see what pans out in time. Then what's so special about science under the circumstances, <laughs> Lawrence?
4: Well, okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> boy, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know where to jump in, but um, my tendency is to jump in, so I'm trying to to avoid that tendency. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. First of all, you know, I hate hearing the word authority applied to science. There's no such thing as scientific authority. Let's get that clear right away. they are scientific experts, but they're not authorities. No one Mm, very subtle. No one's view is not subject to 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 questioning. That's the way the reason science works. No esteemed professor, no Nobel laureate, no anybody um, uh, is above being being proved wrong. In fact, I'm kind of amazed when I hear that that you don't get tenure tenure. for proving something wrong. In fact, what we try and do as scientists is go into uh, our office or lab every day and prove our colleagues wrong. That's how we get famous, that's how we get well known, (laughs) by proving our colleagues wrong, by proving conventional wisdom to be wrong at some level, namely demonstrating something new. And and so uh, it is true that science proceeds by baby steps. It's not done by scientific revolutions and all of that um, kind of, uh, common misconception. It's generally baby steps incrementally applied to what's done before, because people have been working very hard, very long in their whole lives on specific areas, and they make small contributions to knowledge. Now, uh, it is, uh, I'm sorry that I surprise people by saying that things in journals are, uh, need, you have to read skeptically, but that's what you have to do. That's what scientists have to do. I, I mean, the point is that, um, in magazines and newspapers, editors and fact checkers check facts and and and, and uh, stories all the time. But but a large percentage of the time, they're wrong, and you have to you have to read them skeptically. You have to read The Economist skeptically, just like you have to read uh, Physical Review skeptically. Now, it is true that peer review does sometimes catch errors, and peer review sometimes works, in spite of the fact that all of us hate it. Um, Um, And then the fact that it's always true that 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 the people reviewing your papers are idiots Um, uh, uh, unless they accept it. But uh, uh, the the point is, it does it does help the process, but it doesn't eliminate fraud, for example. In fact, science doesn't handle fraud very well at all because we assume researchers are honest. That's why it takes a long time. Often, for scientific fraud to be discovered, because the presumption is that people aren't committing fraud when they write their papers, and if they knowingly are, it's an easy way to to uh, to screw up the system. Now, in it could be that, and there's no doubt that in, the, in pharmacology or pharmaceutical areas and certain areas of biology, unfortunately, because there's a great deal of money to be made, um, there first of all, there's a great incentive for fraud. Secondly, the problem is that that i absolutely agree and as a physicist i look at epidemiological studies and i find many of them laughable because the sample size is 3 people or something like that and that's a large sample and uh, <laughs> it's very hard to make generalizations on the basis of that and often claims are made that that manifestly seem inappropriate look, but that, in Lawrence... physics the biggest data sets in the world said the large hadron collider there's more data being generated every second at the large hadron collider than there is in all the books in all the libraries in the world but that data set can be handled and the and the statistical claims of the discovery of the large hadron collider were done at such a lot at such an amazingly our 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 bar is so high the uh, 5 sigma etc that we that we have great confidence in those results and th- there's a there's an example of the largest data sets in the world that are handled very well and are reproducible and, in fact, uh, uh, um, are therefore um, correct.
3: Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to IAI.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses, and live events. Are you bored of the surface-level news, politics, sports, and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper. Get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level.
1: Theme 2 uh, the second theme, really, we've been talking about the science and un- uncover the truth. And the second theme is if so many scientific papers turn out to be wrong... Whose fault is it? What, what's gone wrong in that? And I think straight away you brought up something that I was hoping would come out of that discussion, which is uh, we're saying scientific papers as if all scientific disciplines are equivalent. But perhaps there's some sense in which some scientific disciplines have uh, more reproducibility than others.
4: It is true. Well, that so it's clear, of course, that physics is better than all the rest, but let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Theoretical physics indeed quite. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, there, there is a wide variation there, and it is about the, the ethos of that discipline. I would bring up one point about authority, though, and, and science. The whole point, Lawrence isn't wrong. He's absolutely right. The whole point of science is to divorce authority from the individual. You divorce authority from the individual or the institution. Where's the authority? The authority is in the process. Right, that's what the scientific method's supposed to do. And if the method's broken, right, if the method doesn't work, then authority, it's not that all the findings are wrong, it's that we don't know if they're wrong or not. The authority has a chink in its armor. That's the point, that, I, that where, I, where. Uh, I, again, Larry and uh, Lawrence, Lawrence and I are looking at the same glass of water, I see it as half empty, he sees it as half full. Uh, yeah,
4: yeah I, I would agree so, in can I, the I,
1: sense
2: that... Uh, But hold on! There's a punch-up coming. I can't see. No, 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 no! I don't.
3: (laughs) No, but uh, I agree uh, that uh, I mean I agree. This business that the authority of science lies in the process, and that the process uh, is large to a large extent broken. And I think Lawrence was alluding to the the role the money plays in terms of uh, causing people to kind of overstate and perhaps even radically, you know falsify their own claims, you know, through fraud and all of that. And also now there's a greater incentive though, and and maybe this is to help Lawrence a little, there's a greater incentive to find this stuff out than there used to be in the past. So in fact, we don't know really how much of past science has in fact been fraudulent because there hasn't been that kind of incentive to find out. But of course, some hist- you know, historians of science do look at the, uh, the, 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 the working papers of people like Galileo and Mendel. And there is, a, very, you know, there is a, a view that's out there within the history of science community that those guys, by our standards, committed fraud. Okay, Um, however, did it matter? And this is the interest, so there's an interesting punch, you know, what's the punchline, right? Is that to a certain extent, right, uh, it may be possible for the scientific method to proceed, right, in a way that doesn't catch all the error, that actually does allow a certain amount of fraud to go through, you know, if you, know, you allow for a long enough period of time and other people to work in the process. And so when people have this very generous view of the scientific method as self-correcting, and I think maybe you, I think you, maybe you began with that, um, that's kind of what they're referring to. Because I think at the moment things look really bad for the scientific method in part because there's a lot of incentive both for people to commit fraud and the people to find out about it. Right. So every So there's a sense in which, you know, if there's a lucrative contract in the pharmaceutical industry, you might want to check to see whether that guy's research really works. Because then you can get the money. Well, yes, exactly. As long as money's involved, there's an incentive to check error much more carefully than there has been in the past. But then what do we say about the past where there wasn't this kind of
4: incentive and maybe there was just as much error being committed? Lawrence? Well, we check we, we, what we say about the past is, did there were their predictions right or wrong? And that's, you know, it's I don't understand. I mean, um, Aristotle was wrong. Galileo was right, uh, and and they're and the, they're right because you can check that you know when you drop two objects of different masses, ignoring for air resistance, uh, they fall at the same rate. For end of story. It's not a discussion of of um, of whether what his, you know, we can't go back and 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 ask did he actually perform those experiments. We can ask the the. Is the claim verifiable? And the claim is. So but it took a certain number of years between the time
3: them. Galileo first did his stuff and people were able to actually come up with the prediction you're talking about. So if Galileo were caught at the time, right, nobody would say, hey, give the guy a chance. Maybe somebody else who actually does the research can come up with the same result. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I, I would make also I've read new that, I new it just, just up a, pretty
4: well to me. All I can do is read what he wrote and the predictions he made, and right. uh, it, it is absolutely true that, I mean, although I've gone to the museum in Florence to see some of his uh, uh, the experiments he, or the materials he used, but the book, but the claims of that scientific publication are remarkable, one of the most yeah. remarkable uh, books ever written by humans, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I want to simply point out that there's an inconsistency, Lawrence, in what you're saying, in which science is, is evolving through these incremental steps, standing on the shoulders of giants, and here, and then the Kuhnian argument that Stephen put up, which is actually, no, there's these revolutions in which the whole body of knowledge of what we thought to be true before is totally, becomes obsolete, and actually now we believe this, this is the new theory. Um, The point about Aristotle and Galileo is one, although it stretches centuries, as you pointed out, but uh, the one between Ptolemy and Copernicus is a much more uh, flattened, version of it in which, you know, within uh, several generations, the whole way in which we understood the world is wrong. And when we leave the domain of science, its lofty aims, and go into the here and now of engineering, technology, and we'll just take the area of medicine, the consequences of believing something that's wrong is catastrophic, right? And here in Britain, uh, the famous example is of cot death. Uh, There was, you know, babies who would die uh, just because you know terribly we don 't know why the biological mechanism is in place, but they do uh, and the there are steps that we can do to mili- to mitigate that uh although we 're not certain if that works or not, but what was certain is that the the, the the language and the the best practices that were handed down by the authorities in the 60s and the 70s and 80s turned out to be the exact opposite of what you'd want to do. And if I if I know the story correctly, so do check this is probably unverifiable or or it's there is it's just not true. Uh, but if I recall, the the authorities were suggesting that babies should be placed on their front and not on their back, and that the incidences of cot death were actually greater of babies who were placed but, but, but on the front. Not the what back.
1: point is this making about whose fault it is?
2: Uh, so, if, if, if
1: there were scientific errors, in that case, it was science that uncovered the, the correct way to do it, and that actually saved lives. Ultimately, uh,
2: well, ultimately, it is it is simply to say that uh, that it that this idea of incremental steps uh, that we're all that all the union of scientists through the generations are holding hands walking to the shiny hill is just not true. In fact, the point well, it's is- not.
4: It's it, we no, we're we're arguing all the way to the shiny hill, um, <laughs> and we're not holding hands. And that's the that's the point. We we no one we all. Distrust these other each other's claims, and that's a that's a good thing. It's called skepticism. There's no sense, by the way, in which the the yep. and and maybe I'm going back a little bit, but there's no sense in which the old theories are obsolete. Newton is not obsolete. Even the even epicycles were not obsolete. They actually, at the time, explain predict allowed you to predict the motion of planets. But there's a difference Kompaticus. between prediction and explanation. Kepler came with ellipses, that it became better. So the old theories are not obsolete in any way in the sense that they, if they, they change work, their status. they continue to work.
3: They change their status. They're no longer explanatory theories. What they are, are certain kinds of empirical regularities that have been no, subsumed Newton's under larger theories. Explanatory
4: theory. I'm sorry, Newton's a very good explanatory theory. The, the the force law between planets of the sun is one over r squared to high approximation. And, and, and uh, until you get to uh, very subtle things, Einstein is irrelevant. Oh,
1: okay, so, uh, so hang on, no, hang on. So uh, we're we're talking here about whose fault is it if uh, if, if, if
2: <laughs>
1: And 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 what I wanted to point out here is just I, I think it's just very interesting something that Lauren said, which is really we're not all walking hand in hand to the shiny hill. We're all arguing to the shiny hill and uh, shiny hill, and that's the whole point. And I think it seems as a lot, a lot of you of things that you've been saying are uh, when you were saying that uh, maybe people are fraudulent, deliberately fraudulent, I think there's also a whole scale of not deliberately fraudulent, but very human. The point is that we have a scientific method, which is very rational, and we have people who are doing it, who are human and deeply irrational, and some of the most irrational people I know are scientists, my friends who are scientists. So, so there is something about that that, that clash. And
4: But that's exactly what the scientific method is designed to address in the sense that people that, uh, Indeed, scientists are human. It's hard to recognize that every now and then, but but, uh, (laughs) that um, that and will make mistakes. And um, and that part of the central part of the scientific method is is being skeptical. And therefore, if it's in some sense, if you ask who's at fault, the the people at fault are it's a combination of people who are extending their claims beyond what their data allows and people who believe it.
1: Theme three. So, so the question then is the final question. The final theme is: Should we look elsewhere for our truths, or is science as good as it gets? We can we can slam into it. We can say it's done by flawed humans, but should we look elsewhere for our truths? Who wants no. to have a go at that? <laughs> well, I'll start. I'll
4: start. I mean, it's, I can say science is like like democracy. You know, it's got a lot of flaws, but there's no better. Right, uh, you know, uh, it's the worst
1: method apart from all the others, right? I mean,
4: it's the only look. It's I would not only say is it the best? It's the only method for uncovering the way nature works. There's no other method that works, and and revelation certainly doesn't work. It's it all any revelation that you have is is wrong. (laughs) To first and uh, (laughs) and so the only way to find out how nature works is to ask questions and let nature give you the answers, and that's what science is all about.
1: Kenneth, what do you think? Should we look elsewhere for our chase?
2: Uh, sadly, no. Um, he, uh, L- Lawrence is right that uh, did you hear Churchill, that, Lawrence? Yeah, and inciting Churchill. That is uh, democracy. There's a bot after. There's a bot here. <laughs> there's always no, no, no. Uh, look, on that we can all agree. It's it's are the weightings that we give to it. The what's not recognized well enough is that there's a there's a fundamental uh, there's there's inherent problems in the scientific method. And uh, problems in the scientific method or in the application of the scientific method? Well, both. Right. So in the application, of course, there is, because we've 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 seen a lot of them and talked about them. But in the absolute method itself, um, all of science now is based on math. Right. It wasn't the case, you know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, there was math involved, but it wasn't a sophisticated level of mathematics. Uh, Statistics as a discipline really is only between 150 and 300 years old, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, so, the, in the nature of the false positives and the false negatives, is the fact that what a researcher is going to put forward, even the most well-meaning researcher, as a legitimate finding, is actually going to be potentially false. So unless the, within the process of science, there's baked into it, verification of findings, of reproducibility of studies, we're, going down a, we're potentially going down a blind alley. And again, empirically, we know this is the case. We've already crossed the Rubicon because we can see that so much of what's published can't be verified. Steve? Uh, A lot depends on...
3: What we mean by science Because if what we mean Is just the scientific method uh, Let's say as Francis Bacon Put it forward Which was largely As a kind of corrective To human cognitive biases And limitations That was kind of The original context Of what Francis Bacon Was trying to do you got fallible humans How do you get to the truth You go through this method Of testing things all the time That was kind of The basic idea um, It seems to me That is very much part Of every kind of form of knowledge And I think one of the ways That you see this Is that even when we talk About alternative forms of knowledge Whether we're talking about Religion forms of knowledge, or knowledge of other cultures. and uh, Science always is there as a kind of component, okay? And I think, so, so in a sense, the, uh, the answer is obviously yes, science is kind of going to be part of any kind of knowledge process. I think the issue is going to, we go back to this authority question, whether in some sense what the scientific experts say about the application of science turns out to be the deciding factor in terms of what we should believe. But I think most people in most societies actually integrate some version of the scientific method into their thinking, including very religious people. Okay? So I don't think, in a sense, at the very basic level, there isn't really a problem. I think it's, it's really when we start to get to the question of whether there is some kind of special scientific authority right, that in a way can invalidate. You know, because I think that's kind of where the issue is. And I know Lawrence has been trying to avoid this issue of authority in science. But I think where this question starts to have some controversy is at that point, where in some sense science can override, you know, the scientists themselves can override. So if you have, for example, a religious person who reads a lot of science informally and and has some kind of views about the way the world works, and they have some scientific content to them and even feel they're testing them, but they disagree very radically with what the scientific consensus on the matter says... Right? I mean, that person's invalidated.
1: Thank you for listening to this Institute of Art and Ideas podcast. If you enjoyed this debate and want to carry on the discussion, visit
2: iai.tv. Remember to subscribe and review on iTunes.